As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Friends, when we recorded this podcast, we lived in a different world. That world was one in which Arizona State didn't have a starting quarterback. Since then, the world has changed. The Sun Devils tabbed Jaden Rashada, true freshman, as their starting quarterback for week one. It's a fascinating move for a lot of reasons, mostly surrounding the wild circumstances that led Rashada from one of the highest paid quarterbacks in college football, who got shorted on his entire deal at Florida, to a kid who was following in his dad's footsteps at his alma mater, Arizona State, without an NIL deal to his name. We've written a lot about Rashada since then, so go check out all of our coverage at The Athletic of Tuesday's news, as well as Rashada's wild recruiting saga and my update when I went out to Tempe this spring. So just know, later in the show, when myself and Sam Khan discuss the Pac-12's quarterback situation, just know we didn't miss the news. It just hadn't happened yet. And with that, let's get to today's show, putting the SEC, Pac-12, and Group of Five quarterbacks into tears. I'm sure you'll all agree. We're going to talk some more QBs, and uh, we've got Sam Kahn Jr. coming to us from the Lone Star State, deep in the heart of Texas. Sam, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm ready to talk some QBs, and we have Kenny Smith coming to us. If you're on YouTube, you can see Kenny's fabulous uh, uh, soundproofing <laughs> background. Uh, no, we did not build Kenny a podcasting studio. Kenny coming to us from Athens, Georgia, working on some stuff for us. Kenny, uh, how's life at at your alma mater? Despite uh, your 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 life covering Bama these days, yeah, um, ironic that I'm here um, on an assignment with University of Georgia covering Alabama. But it's been cool. First few days out here, got a chance to put Ari and Max onto some good eating spots. Uh, we're gonna keep shooting later on today. I think they're doing a stadium tour right now. So. It's been a fun time, um, you know, nice to to get away for a little bit before, um, you know, I'm really focused on locking in on Bama for the upcoming season. So, uh, you know, after this, continuing to, to do some more preview stuff for Alabama and uh, looking forward to this season. Shout out to Sanford Stadium, the outdoor press box. The SEC is like the last bastion of outdoor press boxes. They're they're slowly disappearing from the planet. Uh, Georgia and Florida are, are two of the best, but... We got a lot of SEC chatter today. Uh, first of all, welcome to Until Saturday. Uh, be sure to follow us on Apple or wherever you get your podcast. Drop us a five-star review. And in a comment, uh, you may see us in an upcoming Mailbag podcast. We're going to be doing a, a Sunday sound-off show that's going to be heavily featuring 
all of you guys. So we're, we're looking forward to that coming off of games. Uh, and of course, subscribe to us on YouTube where we publish stuff daily. You'll see uh, exclusive videos, um, you know, shorter versions of, of stuff that that's on the pod. And of course, we'll be streaming live on YouTube quite a bit um, this year. Uh, that starts this week, this Saturday and uh, this Saturday and Thursday, we'll be streaming live on YouTube. Uh, myself and Ari Wasserman, We'll be there uh, plenty this year. We're going to preview week zero on Thursday and Saturday. We're going to get you started with a lot of reaction. It's a it's a lean slate, but we'll find plenty to talk about. I am, I am sure. The people want to know UMass New Mexico State. We're going to break down every snap of that play, one play at a time. So look forward to that. Uh, and of course, like I mentioned, can be a part of our Sunday Sound Off stream as well this year. Um, that's going to start around 6 Eastern. We're going to answer your voicemails, uh, Twitter questions, YouTube comments, and all that stuff coming off of Saturday here at Until Saturday. But guys, we got some business to attend to right now. We're back with more quarterback tiers. I have set them into tiers. I'm prepared to uh, make you guys yell at me and and put me into put me into tears. So uh, let's get let's get started here. We're gonna start with the SEC, and I think as I did this, it's it's a lean year for quarterbacks in the SEC coming in. Uh, listen, there might be some surprises. There might be some guys who uh, have bigger years than you thought, but it's not fantastic. It's there's some good quarterbacks. I don't know how many world beaters there are. There aren't any to start the season. I can tell you that. Um, we'll see uh, what there is uh, when this year gets started. But my tier one, guys, I got three guys in it. I got Jaden Daniels from LSU. I got KJ Jefferson from Arkansas and Will Rogers from Mississippi State. Uh, he'll be in a new offense. So will KJ Jefferson. A lot of questions there. Uh, KJ Jefferson going out of the Baylor offense into uh, Dan Enos' offense at Arkansas. And Enos' second run as Arkansas' OC. Will Rogers, Kevin Barbet coming in there. Um, they're they're going to run the ball a little bit more. Not a pure air raid. Will Rogers has thrown for approximately 35,000 yards in the last two seasons. Um, my tier two is a lot of new faces. Guys that we think can be great. I like a lot of upside with all three of these guys. Devin Leary at Kentucky. Guy who uh, has had a massive year. He may have had the best year of anybody on this list um, at at, um, uh, at NC State a couple years back before he got injured last year. Joe Milton at Tennessee, a guy I think, unless he falls apart this year, no matter what he does, I think he's going to be a first-round pick. And Connor Wegman, a guy who might be uh, responsible for Texas A&M's rise. And then my tier three guys, Jackson Dart at Ole Miss, Spencer Rattler at South Carolina, Jalen Milrow at Alabama, and Carson Beck at Georgia. We don't know what we're going to get from those guys. And, of course, my tier four guys, not on the board, but Peyton Thorne at Ole Miss. Are we sorry? Excuse me. Peyton Thorne at Auburn. Brady Cook at Missouri with a dash of Sam Horn. Um, I will say Brady Cook, he tore his labrum in week two last year. He's healthy this year. Maybe that gives him a little upside. Um, we'll, we'll see. Kirby Moore calling plays down there at uh, Mizzou. AJ Swan at Vanderbilt, a guy that I think – Gave you better play than you thought Vanderbilt might get. Took over the job after uh, Mike Wright kind of exploded to start the season last year. Um, but I think there's still a ceiling there. And Graham Mertz at Florida, who uh, Billy Napier is very high on. Finding other people high on him is a little bit of a tougher task. Uh, Sam, I will start with you. 
who am I most wrong about in my tears? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, you know, the funny thing about this list is I actually am not really in large disagreement with it. But what I find interesting is that I think I'm more excited about the tier two guys on your list mm-hmm. than I am the tier one guys. Because to, to a certain degree, the tier one guys, I think, are known commodities. You know, or at least to a certain degree, we you know we saw Jaden Daniels at LSU last year. KJ Jefferson, of course, been really successful at, at Arkansas, but in a different offense than what he'll be in. You know, Dan Enos is going to bring more of a pro style system there as opposed to what Kendall Bryles had. But and then Will Rogers, of course, you know, going from the the air raid to to what Kevin Barbet is going to bring. Uh, and we saw they scored a lot of points at App State with with mm-hmm. him. So. I'm intrigued by them, but I'm more excited, I think, about the talent in that tier two because, like you mentioned, Devin Leary, I think uh, the the ceiling for Devin Leary and combining him with with Liam Cohen's return to Kentucky is really intriguing. Joe Milton, the physical talent, super intriguing. Like you, you watch, I was watching highlights of him last night, and I was just like, my gosh, he, he just he jumps off the page in terms of physical talent. And then the guy that I am probably most excited about is Connor Wigman, uh, who's a former five star. Uh, started the last three, four games last year for Texas A&M. And when you watch him in his element, he, to me, looks like a future star. And, and so I look at all those Tier 2 guys as guys who could ascend to Tier 1 guys by the season's end if things break right for them. And I just think the talent at that level uh, is what intrigues me the most in this group. See, I think this is where, you know, Ari and I got into disagreement on this on our uh, Big Ten ACC uh, Big 12 show. In that, I think Ari saw it more as a draft, where I feel like I'm with you. I think those Tier 2 guys, I'm probably more excited about them than any of the Tier 1 guys, except for maybe Jaden Daniels. I think he still has another gear he can get to, um, another year in the offense. I think he grew up a lot last year and still has a lot of talent around him. Offensive line should be improved. But to me, it feels disrespectful to put guys who haven't really done it. You know, uh, Devin Leary, I think, has done a plenty. But last year was rough, and and numbers weren't great, and... Uh, you know, I think he can with, you know, pairing up with Liam Cohen can do some really, really big things at Kentucky this year. But coming off the year that he had, you compare it to the year of the guys in the tier one guys, it feels disrespectful to them to put them on the same plane. Joe Milton, same thing. You know, he's lost a job twice in college football. Uh, there's not a lot of guys who have that. Uh, we might talk about one later uh, in this podcast that, that might be in your neck of the woods these days, Sam, but that's a rarity. We haven't seen that a lot. And I think the potential is still there, but the reality is that he did, you know, lose a starting job twice in his college career. And I think he's grown up a lot from that, but you got to do it. And then Connor Wagner, we just haven't seen a ton of, I mean, what two thirds of a season we saw him look, make some flashes, but the consistency wasn't necessarily there. Uh, Kenny, where am I most wrong in this tier system here? I I can't lie. Um, there's one there's one name in particular that stuck out to me when you first sent the list, and then listening to you just now talk about players who have done it, and you need to to see more out of them. I feel like Spencer Rattler is too low on this on this tier list. Um, there was a point a few years ago where. He was, um, you know, the top quarterback, um, you know, supposedly going to be in the NFL draft after a sophomore year at Oklahoma. And then, um, you know, obviously Caleb Williams kind of uh, ascended and he went to South Carolina and um, it was an up and down year in 2022. But I felt like at the end of the year, he really caught stride going, you know, starting from that Tennessee game, um, which was a, you know, a huge offensive explosion, you know, the last three games that he played, um, 
No, they didn't win the bowl game, but I felt like the the wheels really started to turn for him in terms of just confidence playing under Shane Beamer, Shane Beamer. And, you know, this is another quarterback. I know he wasn't in, um, you know, the, the tier where you mentioned guys moving into a new offense, but he has a new offensive coordinator um, as well. Just listening to him talk about the things that they're going to do differently on offense and just kind of his excitement and being there for a, a second year at South Carolina, I really feel like Spencer Rattler is in a position to um, remind people of who he was um, in 2020, where he uh, kind of had a meteoric rise. So, um, I don't know if I would go as far as to say he's a tier one guy, but I feel like he should be comfortably in tier two. Maybe, but I'll counter you with this. Last year, before you got to the month of November, Spencer Rattler had five touchdown passes and he had, let me count, six, seven, eight, nine interceptions. <laughs> That's a problem. Uh, I, I think his tra- his career trajectory has been very odd. One of the weirdest trajectories that we've seen in college football, because I think he might have a great year here. I, I, I think the question is, can the, the kids a consistency there? Can you be that guy um, and be that guy every single week? Um, you know, a couple games, what, one, two, two games under 60% completion percentage, one under 50. That's a problem. Uh, and so, you know, ultimately, I think the way he closed the season, if he can be that guy every week, Spencer Rattler might be in the Heisman conversation, quite frankly. Uh, what he did to Tennessee, I mean, listen, you can rip on Tennessee's <laughs> defense all you want, but go watch the Kentucky game. Like, this is not a hapless defense. I mean, he tore them up. Um, and then going and, and beating Clemson um, and playing as well as he did in that game. Rattler is fascinating, but I think for me, when you see guys who have embodied two poles, I kind of tw- tend toward I would like this ugly pole to not exist. And if that if you've shown <laughs> me that that ugly pole exists, I got some doubts about you. So I think Spencer Rattler is best. I agree with you. He, Spencer Rattler is best as a tier one guy, but Spencer Rattler is worst. He's down there in the tier four. <laughs> tier four. And if you've shown me if you've shown me that you could be a tier four guy for two thirds of a season. I, I tend to believe you more than more than two great games. So Spencer Rattler is fascinating. I think we've seen him look like a lot of different people throughout his career. I think those last couple games before he lost his he lost his job at Oklahoma, those kind of stick in my mind too. So I think I had so much built up scar tissue with waiting for Spencer Rattler <laughs> yeah. to be great that when he finally popped and was great, great in those last two games, that I, I I'm kind of raising my eyebrows and it didn't make me forget about everything else. Uh, yeah. Sam, when you look at the tier four guys uh, in this in this group, who's got the biggest upside between Peyton Thorne at Auburn, Brady Cook at Mizzou, AJ Swan at Vanderbilt, and Graham Mertz at Florida? Or are you sipping any of the Gatorade down there? Probably, I mean, just based on experience, I think Graham Mertz, you feel like could make the biggest jump in this group, uh, just based on all his starting experience with Wisconsin. And, and I know the the play and the, the statistics haven't been you know, what you would like, but, but you would think that Billy Napier and, and his history uh, could, could make this a really good marriage between those two. And then, and then I'll look at Peyton Thorne uh, mm-hmm. and Hugh Freeze has, has a really great track record of putting together really good offensive football teams and, and getting some quarterbacks on track. So those are the two that I look at with, with the higher ceilings. I do like AJ Swan. You talked about v- Vanderbilt and, getting some better quarterback play. He's he's got some juice to him. I kind of like KJ a little bit. But yeah, but of those uh, of mm-hmm. yeah, of those guys on the list, I think Mer- Mertz and Thorne are probably the ones that have the potential the highest potential to move up this list. Kenny, 
let's 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 have the, the Jalen Milrow conversation. I have him sitting down here in tier three. Before we do that, by the way, our full podcast promotion and our, our full prod, our full podcast of programming will be coming back uh, once we get into officially week one. Stars Matter will be back with Ari, Manny, uh, Grace, Mitch, and maybe some guests throughout that. Uh, Max and Sam's show will be back. Uh, I don't know what you guys are calling that these days because it's, it's a Big 12 show, but not really, but a Texas <laughs> show. It's mostly just, let's get these two guys together and let them cook, and I, I enjoy it. Um, Power Hour will also be back with Nicole Auerbach and Chris Vanini. Um, you can see Nicole, by the way, on Big Ten broadcast this year uh, on NBC. Uh, you can also see her on Big Ten Network, so catch her uh, as well as on our platforms. Um, so our whole podcasting um, uh, program will be back, and we have a four-part series Coming up, um, that, that looks at uh, BS High, uh, a story that uh, Andy Staples, our previous colleague, and Ari wrote about the infamous Bishop Sycamore situation. Uh, a wild saga there, um, but there's a, a documentary on HBO coming out that, that we have made in conjunction. We're having a podcast uh, there hosted by uh, Mary Pylon, so enjoy that. Uh, we'll have a, a doc or an episode coming later this week. Three more episodes coming uh you know over the next couple weeks so tune into that looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So let's, let's, let's have the conversation, Kenny. I think when you look at Milrow, he has such a small sample size. I was at the Arkansas game last year. I saw him rescue them when they were in a lot of trouble. And then you have the A&M game where you needed your defense to make a stop there to save you from losing uh, on the road to a team that ultimately, you know, didn't go to a bowl game. What 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 is his ceiling this year, Kenny? And is there a chance that we're hating on him and he's a tier 1 guy in hiding? Yeah, I think I think that potential is definitely there. When you when you look at him from just a physical playmaking standpoint, I mean, he's he's electric. And you saw that in the Arkansas game, and I know there were turnovers in the Texas A&M game, but the way that he was able to create plays with his legs and just create mismatches with the, the defense is notable. And I think his ceiling is, uh, you know, probably, you know, I would say probably tier two, maybe fringe level tier one. It really depends on how much he's progressed from not only a passing standpoint, um, which you know people highlight a lot when they say, "Okay, can Milrow throw the ball? Can he can he make those those throws downfield?" Also, just decision making, not 
going for the deep shot every time, sometimes checking it down, or if he decides that he's going to run, making sure that he has two hands on the ball. There was one fumble, especially in that Texas A&M game, where he was trying to escape the pocket, had one hand on the ball. He was a little careless with it, just having two hands. A, a simple adjustment as that, um, I think, will go a long way in terms of his development. Um, but I have, I'm pretty optimistic on Milro. And one thing I'll say about what happened last year to what is um, supposedly going to happen this year, um, I expect him to get that first start against Middle Tennessee, is last year he was kind of thrusted into a situation where Bama's offense was completely Bryce Young reliant, and a lot of it was was hero ball, and he goes into a situation with Arkansas where he's kind of coming in cold and just making plays on the fly. And that Texas A&M game, there were looks that were advantageous to you know his play style, but there really wasn't a lot of time to fit an offensive game plan around his strengths. Now you bring in Tommy Reese, who um, has an affinity for for RPOs and, and zone reads, and he's somebody who's going to, to build um, the offense within Bama's foundation around what they do well, which is going to be running the ball. So putting him in an offense where he can kind of tailor a lot of it to his strengths, where they're going to run the ball, I think they're going to use um, tight ends a lot more than they have in years past, and they have some guys on that roster that I know they're, um, they're excited about to potentially put into some two tight end sets. And I think the the biggest thing with Milro is he's going to need uh, a receiver in that room to step up and kind of be the the guy, which is um, as much as Bama's DNA as running the ball and playing good defense is always having kind of a, a dominant one receiver, which they didn't have last year. So they can get somebody to pop in that receiver room and, and they can run the ball in an offense that I think is going to be a lot more tailored to, to Milro's strengths if he can reach that above average passing category um, and do so consistently, then I think that he's going to be um, you know, potentially one of the breakout stars in the league this year. Sam, I'm, I, I've got a semi hot take. I would like, I'd like to get you, I'd like to get your thoughts on. I, I kind of believe that no matter what he does this year, we're not going to have any idea how good Carson Beck is unless we see him be like making some unbelievable throws. Which I'm not sure he has to do. I think if you put Brady Cook in his situation, if you put uh, Jackson Dart in his situation, AJ Swan in his situation is a good, actually a good, interesting question. If you flip those guys, I think they'd have similar expectations. You have him walking into a situation here where, most importantly, their offensive line is going to be elite this year. But you have Ra Ra Thomas, you have Dom Lovett, you have, oh yeah, probably the best player in the SEC, maybe one of the best players in college, well, not maybe one of the best players in college football in Brock Bowers to throw to. I think they'll have a pretty good running game. Uh, I think they'll be solid again. Maybe they don't live off of that, but good enough to, to keep them balanced. So he's walking into this ideal situation. We have a ton of targets. You know, you have a new offensive coordinator, but you have a, a, so much help around you that it's hard to even know how good you are. I mean, you look at Stetson Bennett. He's got a national championship game charging in on his second, and people are still like, ah, I don't know. Is this guy, can this guy play? <laughs> Like, I think people really underrated what Stetson brought to the table, um, especially with his legs. But with Carson, I think it's going to be, you know, twofold. I, I think he's a guy that is going to, you know, uh, face a lot of doubt. And even if he has a great game, you're going to see people sort of roll their eyes because there's so much around him. What do you make of the Carson Beck situation, Sam? And, and am, I, am I correct in my take that unless he's making unbelievable throws every other game, you know, every other possession that people are going to kind of, eh, whatever he does. I mean, heavy lies the crown, right? This, this yeah. is a program that's won two in a row, and the standard is going to be high. 
I, I almost compare it in a way to Alabama before the offense changed. You remember when Lane Kiffin came in and the offense changed? But before that, it was a team built on great defense, running the football, and a quarterback, not not to use this pejoratively, but managing the game. And I think with Mike Bobo being back there, they're, they're going to try to put him in situations where he's not where he's going to be able to manage the game well, and he's not going to put him in compromising situations. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a great approach. When you have as much talent as Georgia does, that's totally fine. You 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 don't have to go out there and have your quarterback win the game for you and carry the team for you. This is not the situation Georgia's in. They have the luxury of all those guys around him and that and a great defense that and the schedule that seems pretty forgiving this year. Mm-hmm. That he does not have to go out and be a world beater. That said, it doesn't mean that he's not a good quarterback. It's just a matter of what is he going to be allowed to do within the constraints of their offense? What what are they asking him to do? And so to that point, I do agree, yeah, that it's going to be a little bit of a challenge to get a sense for what his true ceiling is. But I still think at the end of the year, we're going to probably be looking back and saying that he had a pretty good season. But but I I'm not I don't know that you could still win like that in the SEC, especially how much it's changed. You know, Kenny, I think you you're on board with like I think you you know you you foresee what I think a lot of people do in that Alabama is going to be a, a little bit more like that their old Alabama teams. I am skeptical that you can win the SEC doing that. I think Georgia can in part because they will have that uh, vertical ability and they can they have the, the the skill position talent and the offensive line talent and and uh, and most importantly I think the schedule they're not going to have to run into a lot of. Um, big situations, but with Alabama, I, I'm skeptical that you can still be an elite team doing that, and certainly that you can win a national championship doing that. Kenny, where do you stand on this and the, the SEC's evolution? And if having a game manager at quarterback, can you still get to December and hold up an SEC title trophy? Yeah, I think when it comes to that conversation, um, I think at the end of the day, you are still going to need your quarterback to make um, you know, a few special plays in a big game to kind of get you over that hump. I do think, though, that when you talk about this kind of complementary style of football, I still think that that can win in college football. I think, again, Georgia was a great example of that last year. And Stetson Bennett did make some some pretty great plays with, with his legs, and he was dynamic in a few games. But I never really got the sense that Georgia was a quarterback-reliant team mm-hmm. um it just kind of felt like uh you know some of all parts everybody kind of chipped in i think having you know elite playmakers like the brock bowers and the darnell washingtons and lad mcconkey that helps having a great defense helps as well but i think um you know executing it and having you know good play on all three phases with a quarterback that may not be a, a caleb williams can can win and i think especially this year in college football specifically when you kind of look around the the landscape uh really outside of michigan a lot of the teams that we're talking about you know seriously contending for a championship all have a question at quarterback in some way or another whether it's georgia bam ohio state breaking into quarterbacks you said Jaden daniels has another gear to reach at LSU, is he going to revert to early 2022 um, Jaden Daniels, or is he going to to look like the Jaden Daniels uh, of late in the year? Um, you know, USC with their defense, um, you know, question marks there as well. Florida State um, with Jordan Travis, is he going to take that next step? So I think this year you can have kind of a, of a team, you know, if you have great other parts and quote-unquote subpar quarterback play who can make those um, dynamic plays um, when you need them. I still think that I can win. And going back to the Alabama conversation, that's why I favor Jalen Milrow over the pack right now is because he just has that game-breaking X-factor type of um, 
element to to his game. So it depends on a lot. I know Alabama specifically, um, communication on the defense, they gave up a lot of big plays last year. Penalty really, really hurt that team, especially against Tennessee and LSU. So they're going to need that that elevated play to kind of prop him up. I think Georgia is in a better position to to do that because we've seen that that style win the last two years of you know an elite roster kind of elevating a quarterback. So um, you know, quarterback's going to have to make plays, but I think you know in this case we're talking about Georgia and Alabama. They're going to need uh, you know the other position groups to really um, prop up their quarterback and and hold up their end of the deal as well. All I'm hearing is Kenny hating on Stetson Bennett again. I'm here in Athens, Tennessee. <laughs> Kenny, don't say that too loud. Don't say that too loud. Well, Kenny, four thousand yard passer, Stetson Bennett. That's what way. I'm saying. Right. That's no, what I'm no, saying. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I am not taking anything away from, from Stetson, and he. You know, I'm I'm thinking of a lot of plays that he made last year, like that 80 yard run against Auburn was crazy, and he did yeah. take Georgia on that drive against um, Ohio State, but. They, Georgia had a lot of playmakers on offense, and there was a lot of you know getting the ball to. A.D. Mitchell and Brock and those guys in space, Kenny McIntosh, letting them make plays in the defense, held up their end of the deal as well. Um, so it wasn't like a Bryce Young situation where I felt like yeah. Alabama's game plan was, here, Bryce Young, just take us there uh, <laughs> offensively <laughs> and have Will Anderson kind of, you know, hopefully, you know, break a game open on, on defense. So um, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm coming from Iowa and I'm just like, scarred and conditioned <laughs> to believe that complimentary football is the way to go. But I, I don't know. I just feel like this year, specifically in 2023, if you have a uh, roster um, and competent quarterback play, that can get it done. I think I see a tiny Phil Parker on Kenny's shoulder, maybe. Maybe that's part <laughs> Well, Kenny, thank you for joining us. You got a, you, you got an interview. You got a lot of stuff you got to do uh, out there in Athens. So we will let you go. Thank you for helping us break down the, uh, the QB tiers in the SEC. Uh, my colleague Sam Khan and I will be will be tackling uh, the Pac-12 and the Group of Five. But Kenny, thank you, appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. I'm sure we'll see you pop up on this feed before too long. Yeah, for sure. Thank y'all for having me, and I'm looking forward to catching the rest of the show. Thank you, Sam. We got to move on out west. Uh, clearly, the class of college football when it comes to quarterbacks. Uh, I think there's a a lot of these guys who are better than anybody in the SEC coming into the season. I'll start here. Our tier one, I'm going to say it's a one-man race, Caleb Williams, <laughs> USC. I think when you can have a Heisman Trophy on your mantle coming into the season, to put anyone else alongside you, again, is disrespectful. But here's my tier one A, Michael Penix Jr. at Washington, Bo Nix at Oregon, and then Cam Rising and Cam Ward, uh, put together by our enterprising producer, Cam Molina. Uh, I know you love those guys. Uh, my tier two, Jaden Delora at Arizona. DJ Uyunglele at Oregon State, not Clemson. And then my tier three, a lot of unproven guys, but guys that I think have a little bit of upside. Shador Sanders at Colorado. Dante Moore at UCLA. Drew Pine at Arizona State, who... There's a little bit of buzz. He he hurt his hamstring in camp. There's a little bit of buzz that we might see a Jaden Rashada uh, renaissance. Uh, I guess if we can call that. Really, it's just a first birth for for Jaden Rashada. But I still think it's gonna be Drew Pine out there uh, in the spring. Like what I saw from him. And then TCU transfer uh, Sam Jackson still in a competition at Cal. We'll lean his way. And then same thing with Stanford. Justin Lampson still like competition. But we'll go there. Let's start here, Sam. 
Does anyone else belong on the tier one? Are you are you putting anybody on that pedestal with Caleb Williams? No, I think that's fair. I think the way you put it, the I, I can't argue with your points that when you win the Heisman Trophy, you deserve to be in a class of your own and you're mm-hmm. a returnee. So K- Caleb clearly is that. But when you look at the top of this league and the quarterbacks, it's mind-boggling how good this Pac-12 is going to be and how much fun it's going to be this year. Because mm-hmm. you got Michael Penix, who had a fantastic season at Washington last year. You got Bo Nix, who had a fantastic season at Oregon. You had Cam Rising, who helped Utah get to the Pac-12 championship. And then Cam Ward, one of my personal favorites, of the former Incarnate Word quarterback who uh, had a solid year last season to start uh, at Washington State. And he's going to have a new offensive coordinator. But uh, this is a really talented group of guys. And so yeah. th- that that's this is what makes it like who's going to be your first team uh, all, all Pac-12 guy at the end of the year? Is it still going to be Caleb? Is somebody else going to knock him off? And then and then who's going to be the second team? Like with the, this is there's so many guys on this list at the top that, that it's hard to to pick which one's going to emerge from the heap. It's kind of amazing, like, for all the talent that we have, like, you look down the list, Caleb Williams, dog, Michael Penix Jr., dog, <laughs> Bo Nix, dog, Cam Rising, two-time Pac-12 champion, dog, obviously, Cam Ward, proven, he's done it, Jaden Delora, done it at two different schools, and I think he's still got a ways to go, DJ, I mean, we'll see, <laughs> but then you look, at the rest, you look at the rest of these guys, there's a lot of upside, you know, Shador Sanders, you know, we've talked about him a lot on this pod. The arm talent is pretty obvious. Dante Moore, you know, five-star true freshman. I'm sure there'll be some some bumpy row or some bumpy rides, but I think he's going to be a guy that makes a bunch of plays for Chip Kelly down there. Um, if he can secure that job. Drew Pine, I think, can make some plays for you. You know, the last two are really the only guys that I'm like, eh, eh. You know, we'll see. Uh, do you see any upside with those guys? I mean, you, you've, you've seen a little bit more of, of Sam Jackson at TCU, a guy who played in the state of Texas. You know, if he wins that job, you know, uh, you got Jake Spavital out there at the OC uh, gig coming over there from Texas State. Is there an upside there at Cal, the the Jake Spavital, uh, Justin Wilcox marriage? Yeah, no doubt. I think so. I mean, Spavital's been there before at Cal, and, and, and they had a really good offense when he was there. I think he was there under Sonny Dykes when Dykes was the coach, and and they, they were able to put some points on the board. So I, I think Spav, Spav's his coaching acumen is really not much of an issue. Like he's a good offensive football coach. It's, you know, head coach. It didn't work out at Texas state. There was a lot of different issues, but the pairing of him and Sam Jackson, who is got tons of physical talent, like Jackson, you watch him run the ball. uh, He's electric. We were talking about Jalen Miller earlier in the sec. Sam Jackson's got that kind of juice as a runner. Uh, but also, you you talked to Garrett Riley last year, the Clemson OC who's, who was at TCU. Him and Sonny were raving about how well Sam Jackson throws the ball. And so if he ends up getting this job, you know, Fernando Mendoza, Ben Finley, you're still battling for this as well. But if, if Sam ends up getting this job, the combination of what Jake does offensively and and Sam Jackson's physical talent, I think there is a really high ceiling there. I think there's a lot of potential uh, because th- th- this is a guy who, again, was part of a, a team that went to a, a national title game. So he's been and seen some really good competition in the Big 12. He hasn't had to play as much, but you know he's practiced against uh, some, some really high-end competition. So I think there's a lot of potential for Sam Jackson here to break out uh, if he nails his job down. Hey! 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Sam, I'm pretty mad at Heisman voters. <laughs> I feel like they've they've well earned it. There's too many voters for the start, you know, just for the record. I mean, I listen, as much as we talked about Cesar Bennett and not wanting to disrespect him, he's was the fourth or fifth best player on Georgia's team last year, and we're going to call this man a Heisman finalist. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> come on now. Come on now. Uh, here's the deal with Caleb. is We've had a f- more returning Heisman winners than you would think if you start looking back. But it's they're coming in with an unfair uh, situation for a couple reasons. One, when you lose a game, people blame you if you're the quarterback. Despite the fact that Caleb is not going to be the reason why they lose any games this year. I can, I can confidently say I think if, they, if, if USC loses games this year, listen, not to point the finger and play the blame game, there's lots of plays. More likely going to be the 11 guys on the other side of the ball are the reasons why USC <laughs> trips up. So you have that. You know, if they go 10-2 and two this year and Caleb has, you know, as good a numbers as he does last year, well, it's going to be, you know, people are going to dock him unfairly, I would argue. Secondly... If you're a returning Heisman winner, if you're still the best player in the country coming back, and Bryce Young dealt with this last year. Bryce Young, I think, was better than he was last year. But if your numbers are not what they are going to be, the, the voters are going to um, going to knock you. And Bryce is sort of complicated. He wasn't on my ballot. I think the injuries and uh, that, that played a part in it. But ultimately, Caleb, if he's going to repeat as a Heisman winner, he's going to have to surpass his own numbers because if he doesn't surpass his own numbers people are just going to knock him and not vote for him solely for that reason again there's got to be fewer Heisman voters I I, <laughs> I, I really uh, I get frustrated every year I, I get actually mad about it I need to calm down there's more important things in life but man it's very frustrating and I think he's going to get unfairly blamed for losses what do you make of the of the uh, of the upset i mean of the uh, repeat chances that he's got and what what do you make of, of my complaints with heisman voters here i, I think ultimately it comes down to team success but let's be honest that's the way this award goes and stupid caleb yes. williams's chances hinge upon them getting to the playoff they've got to win the pac-12 they got to get to the playoff they probably have to go 12 and 1 uh for him to, for him to get it uh even if he is the best player in college football. I, I agree with you generally on that we're probably a little, a little bit too deep of a list of Heisman voters. I understand, though, wanting to have the regional representation. I think it is important to have representation from across the country, not just you know everybody concentrated in SEC country. You know, you got to have some folks on the West Coast. You got to have folks on the South. You got to have folks on the North and Northeast. You can have I think that that's though. Fair. Let's go 150 voters, not 950. Right. Or however many there are. <laughs> it's insane. But, yeah, but it's it's I you know I think it's once Newt and Dominican Sue finished behind Colt McCoy in the 2009 Heisman voting, I kind of lost hope for it. Uh, <laughs> you know, like like because uh, we we all saw how good Indomitian was, and we all saw what he did to Colt McCoy in the Big Twelve Championship game in Ragdoll 2009. Ragdoll is the term so, that I, I I hear thrown about. 
<laughs> yeah, actually, I think when I talked to Ndamukin a few years ago about this, he said I thrashed him, and I love that. Accurate, <laughs> he accurate. Said he gave him a good thrashing, which he did. Um, but yeah, it, it, look, it's it's kind of like the MVP in pro sports. It's the best player on a really good team is essentially the way we go with this thing. Is that the way it should be? I guess that's up for everybody else's interpretation. I try to go best player. I always, I, I do lament the lack of defensive players that we have on it and the lack of receivers sometimes that we have on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I think your general uh, beef is legit, but I just don't know. I don't know college football the way we are. I don't know if we're changing anytime soon. Let's close out the Pac-12 like this. I, you look at that tier 1A that I have. Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix, Cam Rising, Cam Ward. Penix Jr., I think, has the best arm talent of any of those guys where he makes some throws where you're just like, oh my gosh, you know, the 20-yard deep out from the opposite hash. You're just like, dude, what? You know, Bo Nix has had a weird, weird career. Uh, I, I'm, I'm curious what the switch from Kenny Dillingham to Will Stein does out there. We'll see. Uh, Cam Rising doesn't have, you know, the same sort of like uh, eye-popping numbers just because that's how Utah plays football. You know, Cam Ward, uh, was he underwhelming last year? I, I, I don't know. I, I think maybe the, the hype was a little too much for him maybe. But when you look at these four guys, who do you like to ascend to that tier one? And, and I, think, well, I think one of those four guys, quite frankly – gets a ticket to New York City. Who do you like to ascend, and who are you kind of raising an eyebrow at before you're like, are we sure this guy is going to set the world on fire this year? Yeah, Bo, Bo Nix is the guy that I would put my money on to send into the top. Uh, and and that's no disrespect to, to Michael Penix, who I think is terrific. But uh, I do like the Will Stein hire at Oregon, and I, I do think, you know, he, he did some great work with Frank Harris at UTSA, mm-hmm. who we'll talk about later as we get into the group of five. Uh, but I think that that could be a really good marriage there. And Bo's just got a ton of experience and he's seen it all. He's seen it all in the SEC. He's now seen it all in the Pac-12. Uh, and and that experience, and he just looked like a new guy, a different guy out West last year. And I think building upon that this year could help him break into that tier one and, and could help Oregon in a big way. Uh, of the guys that I, that I will be honest, as much as I love Cam Ward, I was surprised you included him with this group uh, because I do think he's super talented and I do think he's uh, he's deserving a lot of accolades. But we probably did hype him a little bit because I think we do look for who the next guy is. And he came up, he had such a terrific career at Incarnate Word. And and you're looking for who's that guy who's going to move up to the Power 5 level and, and do something big. And, and he had a really ready-made situation with Eric Morris, who was his offensive coordinator, and his head coach, he was also that who was also his head coach in Incarnate Word, and so that comfort level is is not going to be there anymore because you know because Eric, of course, took the head coaching job at UNT. So um, I, I think Cam is still su- super talented. Would I put him in that group with all those guys at this moment? Maybe not. I think I think uh, he's probably in between. He's not. I wouldn't put him with all those tier three guys for sure. He's above those guys. But I also don't know if he's on that other, on the level with the rest of the the other tier one A guys. I think we the one thing we should talk about with Bo Nix is if you are in New York City or you are in Dallas, Texas, there are some giant Bo Nix billboards uh, that have popped up in the city. Now, here's where here's where I think we get mixed up is this is a quote unquote Heisman campaign, okay? 
I don't think this has anything to do with Heisman votes or anything like that. I think it's just simply we're on the West Coast. The rest of y'all need to know who this dude is. <laughs> so is it going to help him win the Heisman Trophy? I don't think so. Does it help Oregon's brand? I think so. Sam, my hot take is that I think these billboards and these campaigns, if you do them in the right way, there's some there's room to be. You know, there's there's a fair question about whether or not you should take some of these things online rather than just putting up a giant billboard of Bo Nix throwing a ball at your face. Um, <laughs> but I actually think these help the program if you are speci- specifically a program like Oregon that people in Texas might not watch. People on the East Coast might not watch and say, hey, this, there's a giant guy here. You should, you haven't seen him. You should probably check him out. I think there's a level of curiosity there. I actually think these are good ideas. Uh, where do you where do you stand on the the hooked on Bonix uh, Heisman campaign here. <laughs> it's brand awareness, baby. We're in the NIL era, man. You got to build yeah. your brand, okay? I, I'm I'm all for getting your name out there. There's nothing wrong with that. And like you said, awareness for these West Coast teams, especially, guess what? Because, oh, it won't be Bo Nix, but Oregon will be playing teams in East Coast time zones before too long. So mm-hmm. probably good to for the East Coast people to get informed about West Coast football because they're going to be seeing a lot more of them in uh, starting in 2024. Sam, let's go to the group of five. My uh, favorite. This is this is my time, baby. I listen. <laughs> I think this is kind of unfair because we're breaking it down. What there's thirty some. What am I thinking? There's sixty something teams, sixty eight teams. Uh, in I forget the number. Um, if you break it down, but there's over sixty teams. So I I look at these QBs and I'm like, man, there's a lot of guys that can that can play. But I think mm-hmm. in part because we have so many teams. But so I, sorting these into tiers was difficult. My tier one. I'm going to go despite the breakup and I've referred to it as a Brady Belichick situation that I'm very intrigued by uh, with Grayson McCall trying to soldier on with Tim Beck as uh, Jamie Chadwell moves on to Liberty. You still, if we can call it a lifetime achievement award if we want, Grayson McCall has tortured more linebackers than any quarterback in the country. Uh, Good luck uh, to all of the folks on Liberty schedules here. Frank Harris at UTSA. Uh, our lucky lefty, Michael Pratt, one of the toughest quarterbacks, a guy that has a ton of experience, and then another guy who moved up uh, from the lower level, Austin Reed at Western Kentucky. Uh, again, he's a guy I think threw for 5,000 yards uh, you know, in like two games last year. <laughs> My tier two, Curtis Rourke at Ohio, Daquan Finn at Toledo. Daquan Finn, he might be the most fun guy on this list. Uh, I'm very excited to see what he can do. Uh, I think he's got a ton of upside to join that tier one guy uh, and and maybe maybe sniff some Heisman stuff. We'll see. Taylor Green at Boise State is my tier two. Uh, Siobhan Cordero at San Jose State. He's got a game. He gets to go up against uh, USC's feared secondary this week. He might put up some numbers. We'll see if he can put a scare into them. Uh, Brent Brennan, uh, really good coach out there. And then uh, Sam, you put some other guys to consider. We'll call these our tier three guys. You're Casey Thompson at Florida Atlantic, a guy that has been at a bunch of places. Texas, Nebraska, now reunites with Tom Herman at Florida Atlantic. Carter Bradley, uh, not America's fun, my finest quarterback. He's at South Alabama. And then Hank Bachmeyer at Louisiana Tech. And Preston Stone, extremely SMU name and an extremely SMU quarterback. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, What do you make of this crop of, of G5? When you look at this list... Uh, Sam, what do you make of, of this year's group of five quarterbacks? It's a lot of fun. This is this is mm-hmm. going to be a fun year to follow all these teams because 
there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of new talent, guys that are emerging that uh, the general fan may be not aware of. And then there's also a lot of, remember that guys running around here, like yeah. Casey Thompson, you know, at, at FAU, <laughs> who once upon a time led the Big 12 in touchdown passes in 2021. You know, you got JT Daniels, who's not on this list, who I beefed with you last night, the JT Daniels erasure on this list. Uh, <laughs> JT Daniels is on his fourth school. He is at Rice, uh, and I think he will actually have a good season there. What is uh, a good so season, though, Sam? What is what is a good season for JT Daniels? Are you still are you still on board? Yeah, I am, because I think the system fit is going to be good. Uh, th- that's the thing is I think JT has had a lot of circumstances from injuries mm-hmm. to system fits and to just you know, he got obviously got supplanted by Stetson Bennett, just the way that whole thing played out in Georgia uh, as they rode the hot hand. It, it, you know, last year obviously didn't go well at West Virginia, certainly. Uh, but at the end of the season, they made a little bit of a change offensively in what they were doing. Uh, I think he's now finally, I think, in a place that he fits, uh, where the offense fits, the scheme fits, and I think he'll be comfortable. And, and there's potential there for him to you know, throw for three thousand yards and you know thirty touchdowns. I think I think that that's doable uh, in the American for uh, for JT Daniels. But but you look at the the top tier of this list: Grayson McCall, Frank Harris, Michael Pratt, Austin Wallace. Reed. It's that is that is that, <laughs> that is, is murderer's a row. <laughs> Dudley list like Grayson McCall. We know what he's done. Frank Harris, who's forty five years old, my personal favorite quarterback on this list. Yes. Uh, who's won a million games at UTSA, and he gets to move into a new conference and really test his medal against a higher level of competition than he had in Conference USA. Uh, that'll be a ton of fun to see. Pratt, of course, leading Tulane to the New Year's Six and the win over USC last year. And Austin Reed, who tested the portal for a little bit and ended up coming yeah. back. He's got a new offensive coordinator, too. Drew Hollingshead is over there at West Western Kentucky to kind of keep that air raid-style offense going. So he'll probably throw for 5,000 yards this year. Uh, this, this, this is a really good group of guys and I'm excited to see some of these guys emerge. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Frank Harris wears number zero, if you weren't aware. So if you've never That's seen right. a quarterback wear number zero, <laughs> at the very least, he's going to provide you that. So listen, don't say that we've never done anything for you. Listen, this is a public service podcast and UTSA, despite, uh, losing Zachary Franklin, Frank Harris can, can play some ball. Still got uh, JT Clark, baby. Yes, yes. Uh, 59 total touchdowns last year for Daquan Finn. When you look at that tier two list, who do you like the most to ascend and and be a guy that maybe even casual college football fans are like, oh, he's playing. I'm, I'm turning it on. Yeah, the one I'm, I think I've, I'm most intrigued by is Taylor Green at Boise State. Uh, big guy, can throw it, is mobile, can run it. Uh, really, really just seems like he's got a lot of tools. And mm-hmm. I think when you look at where he was last year and, and you take another step forward in that development, I think he's got some real potential there. Finn is super exciting. Cordero is super exciting. But Green is the one who I think he doesn't have the numbers that those other guys do mm-hmm. that you could see him rising up uh, and, and moving up up this up this group. Yeah, Boise has been an interesting spot because last year – you know, I watched him get absolutely manhandled by Oregon State, and I'm like, "What's going on here? Are we are we seeing the slow like death spiral of Boise State under Andy Avalos, and we're gonna have to make a change here?" But they rallied on the back half of last season, in part because of the way that 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 Green played, and I'm I'm very curious to see what that looks like. Um, you know, in in, in another year uh, of Boise football, I, I think we'll see. 
kind of where that where that breaks down. You know, you also threw out Jalen Maiden at San Diego State. I'm very intrigued to see, you know, now that they're, you know, uh, Pac-12 hopes are, are whatever we want to call whatever we want to call it. I don't know uh, where we're at here, um, but I, I'm, I'm intrigued by him. Uh, he's had a weird career as well. As well, I remember him Mississippi State. I remember him leaving. Uh, I think he left at some point early on in the in the uh, Leech turnover or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. I forget exactly when that was, but and then he, he moved to safety there, like, midway through last year or early yes. last year, actually before the season, yes. he was playing safety yes. for them, like their Aztec position. And then <laughs> he got, they, they had some issues, you know, injuries and all that. And then in the middle of the season, they put him at quarterback and he throws for 2000 yards in the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. Jalen yeah. Payton, let's go. We, we didn't really get into to Preston stone at, at, at uh, SMU under Rhett Lashley. I think, SMU has had this weird run of really good quarterback play of guys that like they get these guys and then they end up losing these guys. And then, you know, did it start with Garrett Gilbert? Is that really when they kind of. Oh, <laughs> wow. You're going to take it away back. Well, take it back like, to the June well, Jones like era. Well, it's like, well, was that June or was that Chad? I forget. It was June, I think. Uh, it was June. And maybe Chad was in the back end of Garrett Gilbert. Yeah, maybe. Either way. Uh, but you sort but of June was run. there when he first transferred. They've had pretty good quarterback play. And it's amazing you can lose a guy like Tanner Mordecai. And obviously, you, you, you still have Preston Stone there. Yeah. Um, they had a. Garrett Gilbert, mm-hmm. Ben Hicks, Shane Bouchelle, Tanner Mordecai, mm-hmm. and now Preston Stone. It's been a pretty good run. What? Well, listen, SMU has become what I wonder why North Texas isn't in that they're sort of, uh, you know, elite Texas talent bounce back you in that like, hey, if you go to Texas or you go to Oklahoma or you go to you know, any number of these big places and it doesn't quite work out for you, you can come back and SMU has their track record with those guys over the last, you know, six, seven, eight years, over the course of what now three coaching staffs has been really, really good. Uh, and so I'm, I'm very intrigued, um, you know, to see what that looks like. I think I'm, I'm sort of. Am I getting ahead of myself, Sam, by saying that I kind of feel bad for SMU and that they're a lot in life until they become an ACC member, of course, Sam, <laughs> that if Preston has like a huge year one. He's going to get some calls, and that's just what it is. That's what college football is, and I think that in some ways it's a testament to a lot of these guys. You, know, you mentioned Austin Reed flirting with the portal, um, that these guys have had already great careers. You know, Cordero, I believe, came over from uh, from Hawaii, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these guys have are homegrown guys, and they're still here. And so I, I get the complaints from Group of Five coaches, and, and they're not unfair that they feel like a farm system in a lot of ways. But props to these guys that – They've had really good careers and, and are still there. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, they they might if, if Preston Stone were to get that call if he broke out this year because this is this is his first year as the guy with mm-hmm. with Tanner Mordecai gone. But if he does get that call, SMU is one of the programs that is better equipped to fend that fend those overtures off because they are uh, way ahead of the game in NIL uh, than other programs uh, in the Group of Five. So. Yes. SMU SMU is in a really unique situation because if they go to a Power Five conference, obviously that helps your brand exposure and and the relevance of your program. But if they don't, in the in the era of the twelve team playoff, they are really well positioned to be the a team that consistently contends mm-hmm. for that spot, that automatic berth that the group of five teams will end up getting, or whatever the the mid major teams, I guess, is what we'll call them moving forward. 
they have a really good chance to get that automatic bid because they're going to be the talent that they've stockpiled on that roster is really good. And then they're also recruiting high school at a really good level. I mean, Preston Stone is the highest ranked recruit in the internet rankings era that they've ever signed. Yep. Uh, and then before him, they had signed Jordan Hudson, who ended up going to TCU. And then, oh, by the way, bounced back and transferred to SMU after one year at TCU. So they're recruiting the high schools at a really good level and they're they're hammering the portal. So even though you may lose some guys, they've been really good about getting guy bounce back guys. They got LJ Johnson from Texas A&M, PJ Williams. Um, they got several guys from Miami where Red Lashley was an assistant before. Uh, they have really nailed the portal and getting, like you said, those bounce back guys, even if they aren't bounce back, even if they're from other programs that don't have any ties, they've done a really good job of scouting it and, and building it. And so this, the, the keys are there for stone. Like they've got, a ton of receivers. You want to talk about receiver talent uh, in the group of five on the SMU has got as much or more than anybody. Uh, so he's got plenty of tools to work with. They got a loaded backfield with LJ Johnson, Kamar Wheaton. So mm -hmm. it's all up to Preston Stone at this point. It's all up to him to meet that level and, and take the reins and be the guy where it was different when Tanner Mordecai was there and was the starter. And you could just, okay, yeah, I'm here. I'm competing. I want to. I want to be the starter, but if I'm not, you know, hey, I'm here. I'm ready. Now you're the guy. There's there's no safety net anymore. It's it's yeah. your show. SMU is in a really interesting place just because I I think like UNT like Denton is not Dallas. Denton is in an odd place, <laughs> an odd place, and you are up there north a little bit, but you're still in the metroplex. SMU like you are Dallas, Dallas. You're in the middle of Highland Park. You're uh, a half a block away from Bob Bowlesby's house, uh, if he hadn't moved yet. <laughs> uh, you got pretty nice facilities. Like SMU, they have a small fan base, but they have a lot of money, and they have people that care about them and I, uh, you know, and are willing to, to, to back them. I and mean, this is the reason why they're flirting with the idea of, hey, ACC, if you take us, we'll not take any TV money for five years because they have that kind of cash. Um, and <laughs> you, know, you have that. It is. <laughs> and you have access to talent, and that's just what it is. And I think, you know, they're... It's it's not hard for me to see why when they go in the portal, if you have money and you say, hey, you know, come live in the middle of a giant city um, instead of going to a small caution. That's a pretty uh, nice uh, selling point. And so it's not hard for me to see why they have done so well uh, in the portal. And, and Rhett Lashley, obviously, an up and coming uh, quarterback as well. Uh, a fellow Springdale, Arkansas native uh, there also, Sam. So uh, there's a lot of us out there. Uh, shout out, to, <laughs> shout out to the Bulldogs. Uh, although Rhett was a Shiloh guy, so it is what it is. Thank you guys for listening. We've we talked a lot of QBs these last couple of days. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in to until Saturday. Make sure you're following us uh, on whatever uh, podcast purveyor you choose. Apple, Spotify, we're all over the place. And of course, follow us on YouTube. We'll be streaming there a lot this season. A lot of me, a lot of Ari. You'll see some Sam, of course. Uh, Max Olson, Nicole Auerbach, Chris Vanini. You'll see our guy Kenny Smith pop on there. You'll see Manny Navarro, Grace Rayner. We're, we got a lot of folks in this feed, and uh, it's very, it's, it's, it's fun. I'm looking forward to the season. I haven't been this excited for a season in quite some time, and I hope you guys are too. Um, we always appreciate a five star rating and a review. And if you leave that review, it may show up in a mailbag episode. Our Sunday sound off shows are going to be really fun this year, uh, and they're going to feature you guys. So. Whatever you want to say, uh, coming off our Saturday shows, coming off the weekend, there's a lot to talk about when they play 60-something games. Uh, it's always great. Uh, hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel so you know that when we go live, you know when we're live. Um, but you can plan on us going live on Saturday nights and, of course, uh, our shows through the week. 
next week. Again, all of our shows uh, that you're used to in the feed will be back, so get ready for that. And remember, of course, you can't spell until Saturday without us. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you for listening. See you again tomorrow on Until Saturday. Until Saturday.